Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Olive Magazine podcast, your weekly fix of food and drink brought to you by the Olive Magazine team and friends. My name is Laura Rowe. I'm the editor of the magazine and your host for this week. First up, food director Janine has an extended chat to food and travel writer John Gregory Smith about his new book, Orange Blossom and Honey. It's an exploration of the real food of Morocco gathered from locals who welcomed him into their homes and shared secrets of this incredibly diverse cuisine. Plus, following this week's technical challenge on Bake Off, we're buzzing about pastiche de nata, aka Portuguese custard tarts. Web editor Alex and digital intern Amanda chats about the perfect custard tart recipe, the many different types you can get, and where to find them in London, Lisbon, and beyond. Okay, we're very lucky this week to have food travel writer and chef John Gregory Smith on the podcast. Hello, Welcome. how are you? John, I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me to your beautiful West Hampstead home. No worries. <laughs> and John's here because um, he's got a new book out, which is Orange Blossom and Honey. It's a book all about Morocco. And we're lucky enough as well to have it in the magazine in the November issue. Um, Looking gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> so you're here to talk to us all about Morocco, all about the book. Um, so just as a start, I mean, it's a huge subject. Um, it's a huge geographical area with all different kind of, you know, I think you say in the book, it's from like the sea up until the Atlas Mountains and you're encompassing all different kinds of terrains. So tell me how, how you got started on um, pulling the book together because it's just such a huge subject. Right. So with this book, what I wanted to do was um, present a uh, unexpected Morocco so I wanted everything to be like a side of Morocco people didn't necessarily know or uh had would, wouldn't think oh, okay. is, is there yeah um because I think everyone knows like the souks and the dusky yeah. dusty side of it and the square in Marrakesh and actually when you get out of Marrakesh there's just this amazing world mm. so that was sort of my thought process behind the, the book yeah and then obviously it was sort of pulling it all together so it meant going to all these places to to go off and explore basically so how many different kind of areas did you go to how many different cities do you think you so or, cities, or area i mean it's, it's yeah cities not up. so no, many no um <clears throat> i went obviously i did go to marrakesh and i did go to fez and then i went to some of the smaller towns but yeah. actually it was more about for me what i'm obsessed with is home cooking yeah so in a country like morocco if you eat out it's mm. going to be kebab or it'll be street food or pizza or something but it's the food at home that is just the best. So it was kind of going to the different places and getting access to that, yeah. um, which, which is challenging when you don't speak any uh, Arabic <laughs> Berber or any French. <laughs> so when did you first go to Morocco? So I first went, <clears throat> must be about 10, 12 years ago now, with my dad. So I'd read 
an article about Fez. Okay. And I just read about the Medina. So I can't remember, I think it was in like Nat Geographic or something really weird, but it was about, um, that's not weird, but um, it was about the Medina. And it's mm. one of the oldest working Medinas in the world. It's massive. And I just remember thinking that's, that sounds incredible. And what is a Medina for people that so don't it's know? Like an, it's a walled city. A walled city, with, okay. Um, obviously when they were built, there were no cars. So they're generally like, they're, they're walled cities with no cars, really tightly packed Oh, buildings. so this is where you get the little windy streets. Exactly. And, yeah. and in Fez in particular, like mm. it is huge. And some of the streets are so narrow wow. that the buildings have sort of morphed like, <laughs> together. So you can see like struts keeping, wooden struts kind of keeping the buildings separate. Yeah. And you almost have to turn sideways to go through. So is it that the buildings have, have sort of grown out to sort of make the streets smaller gradually? Yeah, or just yeah. I, think it, I think it's really old. Yeah. So like things have moved, but it is, it's just this really weird, like higgledy piggledy city mm. that makes zero sense unless you live there and um you, you just go off and get lost in it you i was gonna say is it pretty easy to get lost really easy and <laughs> like so if you go to a restaurant at night mm. they'll send someone to come and pick you yeah. up and take you because otherwise you're never going to get back to your riad and everything's behind <laughs> closed doors so like oh so you don't there's no signage no no and you know it's, I, I quite like that though because you'll see this weird a street will just be like a wall with a couple of doors and mm. you'll just you know it looks pretty ordinary but then they'll open up to these like gorgeous courtyards and yeah. amazing homes or wonderful little restaurants. But yeah. Everything's hidden. So it's, it just sounded incredible. Like I was born in West London. We don't have things like that in West London. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite vanilla. So I thought I've got to go there. Me and my dad went and we stayed in a lovely place and we were there for like four days. Yeah. And we just pottered around eating and I was just hooked. So that sort of started it. Was it quite a culture shock? Like, you know, the difference and... Um, not so much just because I've, I'm like super spoiled and I yep. travelled loads as a kid. <laughs> like I'd done a lot of travelling and then in my 20s I'd done loads mm. on my own. So Sounds like you just completely fell in love with it. I loved it. Yeah. it was. I loved how random it was. Yeah. I loved how weird it was. You'd be walking down one of the alleys and like a donkey would like push, literally shove you against the wall. <laughs> and, you know, like I loved that it made no sense. That's, so you that's... were just quite happy to get led along and exactly. to find out, get lost. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Just get lost and see what happens. It's yeah. the best way. It's brilliant. So... Um, so that was the first time there. And then did you just keep going back yeah. after that? So I went back, um, I went to Marrakesh actually the next time. And although I did like it and I do like Marrakesh, I remember thinking, mm, this is not quite the same, mm. just didn't have the same appeal. And then I sort of started traveling out more. Oh, okay. And then that's when I was like, wait a minute, this is incredible. You know, the, there's, cause the scenery there, Morocco's a big place. It's not, it's not a massive place, no. but it's big. But the terrain is so different. Yeah. So you've got the desert in the south. And yeah. if you go right to the south, there's like the proper sand dunes and stuff. Oh, wow. And then you've got the mountains. So they've got the uh, the Atlas Mountains, the High Atlas, mm. the Middle Atlas, and then the Rift Mountains. So you've got three different ranges and they're very, very different. Mm. And then you've got the Atlantic Coast and the Mediterranean Coast. So it's just completely random, all the countryside. Yeah. It's wonderful. So wow. it means that when you're travelling around, it's very different and ingredients-wise, completely different. Mm. Um, and and when did you sort of get the idea? And when did you suddenly think I'm, I'm just going to pull this all together in a book? Like I'm I'm a chef. I write about food. I write about travel. Let's let's go in. So with this one, I so I've I've been obsessed with the Middle East, like the Eastern Med and North Africa. Yeah. Recently, like I just think it's so wicked the food, and I spoke to my publisher about doing the North African thing. Oh, okay. And they. Really liked the idea, thank, thank God. <laughs> We've done a good job. And um, that that was sort of the inspiration. So mm. I, I had this little idea to do it. 
um, about unexpected Morocco. And yeah. I think they thought that that's a nice way to do it and package it up. Definitely. Because um, there's loads of wicked books on Moroccan food already. So how can you be different? And that's what it was. It was just about going out and finding it. And I think what's really lovely about the book um, is, like you said, there's so many great Moroccan North African books out there. But a lot of them are, you know, written and and they're they're kind of heavily authentic. So you literally have got like pages and pages of ingredients and you just feel a little bit like, wow, that looks incredible, but it's going to take me two days to make. You're never going to make it. Yeah, you're never going to make it. Let's face it, you're not going to make it. (laughs) But I think what you've done is you've managed to get the the flavours and the spirit of the recipes and then um, present them in a way where people can actually get to the, you know, get to a nice result that you want to sort of serve up. Yeah. Your friends. Um, I think that's kind of important. Like, yeah. just, just that's the style of cooking I like. Yeah. I, I love food, culture, heritage, history, all of that. Mm. But I still think I'd rather weave that into a recipe that then I can make or everyone else can then just make, yeah. you know, going to the supermarket yeah. for 90% of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the food in the book. So... Mm. Um, so you've you've got a whole chapter on street food and we've got um one of the recipes from there which is a fez kefta sandwich which yeah. is delicious. Oh it's so good. Um what sort of street food would you come across? I mean what, who who eats the street food is it just for tourists or locals oh, no. go for it as well yeah. So it would be like um because they've got such their cooking culture is very like you go home to eat. Yeah. And you eat with your family. Right so it's very family really family orientated. So street food is either your you you know you may be going to work and you're grabbing something in the morning or like a it's quick quick bite to eat, like at lunch or mm, after work. Yeah. So they'll have things like um, bar- like barbecue food. So the kofta yeah. sandwich, for example, is kind of like chopped like chopped meat that's cooked on a hot plate. Yeah. Um, or they'll do like little brioche, um, not brioche, brochettes. Oh yeah. Brioche is bread. Yeah. <laughs> they do brochettes so that it'll be like um, liver or like little heart meat skewers. Or, yeah, little yeah. meat skewers with salt and cumin. Nice. And just shove it in bread. They love bread. So yeah. loads of sort of sandwich food. And actually there's a recipe in there, in the book, that's um, this weird um, a chickpea sandwich. Okay. And I remember seeing it thinking that's the weirdest thing. So they've got these beautiful, like, um, very soft French baguettes. Obviously mm. like the French um, hangover from yeah, when they course, had the yeah. doctorate over it. And um, they just fill it with really well steamed chickpeas you know when you do them properly and they get yeah. really big and fluffy and then loads of like philadelphia and salt <laughs> and it so sounds... the chickpeas got any sauce on them or anything no. yeah so they add they have a very uh-huh. mild flavor yeah but they're just sort of a weird so it's more like a texture, texture yeah and then you hit with the cream cheese and the salt it's like ultimate comfort yeah food, it's really it? nice i remember being really skeptical my yeah. guy was like oh, we've got to try them and then you're you know when you just it's like, oh my god really good <laughs> so like that and then they love soup. So the Bissara soup is like yeah. the broad bean soup, really classic. That, you know, And that's a really hearty kind of protein-packed meal mm. that's cheap. So, you know, the workers who start really early will go and eat that sort of mid-morning. Okay, so that's kind of, so, so it's kind of like a grab a breakfast, grab a lunch thing, exactly. grab a snack. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool. Um, and then the other thing, um, you've, got a, you've got a whole chapter on tagines, because I know it's one thing that people are quite familiar with. I yeah. mean, most people think Moroccan food, oh, oh, oh yeah, lamb tagine. Cheeky tagine, yeah. Cheeky tagine. <laughs> um, but you've got all sorts in there. You've got like trout tagine, rabbit, calamari. What, what makes a tagine a tagine? A tagine, a tagine. <laughs> well, a tagine. Yeah. So like, yeah. <laughs> the pot, obviously. But it's, um, so they... That people say that the conical lid is to yeah. get, like, sort of steam it or keep in the juices. So it's juices like classic and, conical shaped yeah. pot that you see that 
people have sometimes got in their kitchen, but they don't use it. They won't use it. And um, <laughs> I, for ages, thought, oh, they're just for show. They don't really use them. They, yeah. they do use them, especially they do if you go there. to, like, yeah. um, the countryside. People will be cooking in them mm. a lot. And they'll just put them straight over a little gas burner and cook stuff. And what they'll do is they'll they layer things up so you put things in the bottom that won't burn so easily and then you'll put, like, things oh, on I top. Oh, I see, right, because the, your heat's going to be all at exactly. the bottom, right? Um, and... That's that's kind of how they cook. So it's the, mm. essentially you're making like a little sort of sealed pot. If you don't have ovens, it's a really easy way to cook like certain yeah, cuts yeah. of meat rather than frying it yeah. and fish. But they cook them all over the countryside. So it's not just the tagines, you know, the, the chicken and preserve lemon yeah. tagines we know. The so ones that we know. They have them everywhere. So things like the calamari tagines from the coast. Yeah. And they... I don't think, I think I slightly adapted it. So they do like a sort of weird layer of carrots on the bottom. Okay. And so, that's and your again, protection. And again, that's to keep the yeah. heat. But what I could never understand is they just burn. So I was like, well, why, why don't you just put oil in and not use them? <laughs> well, maybe it's because carrots are kind of cheap and you I don't can, know. You can sacrifice the carrots. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to sacrifice your rabbit or your calamari, exactly. do you? You're like... And, but they, you know, and they, they have it locked down and they've got yeah. a really nice culture of how you eat the tagines as well. So you put the... You know, it, it's to share, so everyone yeah. eats off the table, tagine in the middle with your bread, and you sort of scoop things out, and the meat right. will be the last thing that you eat. Oh, okay. Because that's the most valuable. So you'll eat it in order? Yeah, so you'd eat the um, the vegetables, and they quite often will have potatoes in there as well. Yeah. And you use your bread as your knife and fork, I guess. And then the, the meat is saved till last, and, and the sort of head of the household will portion that up and sort yeah. of divvy it out. So it becomes like mini courses yeah. of one whole thing. And, you know, because that's the bit you, you won't get mm. so much, which is lovely. But there's not... So, so I guess what you're saying is there's not like a... A tagine isn't necessarily a dish that's got a certain kind of spice blend or whatever no. in it. It's, it's just it's the way it's cooked and it's the way style, it's presented yeah. and the way it's Exactly, served. a style of cooking. And, you know, if you go to a really fancy restaurant in say Marrakesh or Fez, mm. where they give the like the kind of classic tagine. So you're mm. kind of beef and prune and the quince and then the, mm. t- the preserved lemon tagines. They will probably just stew them, put them in. But wh- when you do go out to the countryside, people use them as a proper cooking vessel right. straight over the fire or they'll have their little gas burners yeah. and put them straight over that and cook for the family. And it's just a really easy way to cook like a cut of meat with a load of veg yeah. with a few spices and sort of leave it. And do you couscous with tagine? So that's something different. Okay. No? Oh no, that is because we were going to talk about couscous yeah. because I, I was I saw something um, which was some kind of preparation of couscous which seemed to take three days <laughs> the weird to do. Massaging of the yeah, couscous. The massaging yeah. of yeah, the yeah. couscous. That's that one. <laughs> yeah, slightly. Talk weird. us through that because so like, that's quite a fascinating yeah, process, so like, isn't it? We would think of meat, tagine, lovely stew. Oh, yeah. Let's have a bit of cheeky couscous with it. Yeah. That's just not. That's not a thing Wrong. in Morocco. They just don't do that. You eat, you, you eat your tagine with your bread. Right. Couscous is its own dish. And it, what they'll do is they'll make a sort of stew with vegetables and meat, mm. very liquidy, very saucy. And then you'll steam above it your couscous. Oh, so the couscous goes above the... Yeah, and it will soak up the flavour. Uh. And then they, they have this weird process where you're meant to steam it like three to four times, yeah, depending on the grade saw, of the couscous. Yeah. And then, and then mm. between separating the grains yeah, so and... It's sort of like you you put the couscous in this big like plate, put some water on it, massage it, steam it, mm. take it off, massage oil into it, steam it, take it off. I mean, it's just it's so overcomplicated. You obviously do this every time you make couscous. Every now. single time, brackets. Just <laughs> how, how put do you make, water over it. Let's, <laughs> let's get John to tell us how do you how do you make couscous? <laughs> I, okay, so Moroccans turn off now. <laughs> I would put it in a bowl, pour over tepid water <clears> by about. 
a centimetre and a half, mm. cling film it and leave it. And actually, I'd normally put salt and spices on first okay. and mix it. So not even boiling water, tap don't it. don't need it. You don't no. need it? Because it will overcook it because it's too It will make it go, go a bit claggy at the bottom. Oh. Whereas if you just put slightly warmish... Yeah. It's sort of fluffy. And, and then, then you fluff it with a fork. That is such a good tip. Top tip. I'm off there to try that. <laughs> <laughs> try so, the massaging one yeah. as well, just, to, just so no, you know how hard no, it is. No, life's, life's too short. <laughs> Life is too um, short. So when, when you do that with a couscous, when when you eventually, it, it, right. the heat comes from the, the stew that you're yes. adding to it, and, so you don't have to... And you to... get the flavour of the stew and then they'll yeah. put the couscous. <clears throat> so couscous is like, um, I mean, they just love it. When Moroccans talk yeah. about couscous, their, little, their faces light up and it's, oh. to them, it's like the family meal you have on Friday. So Friday's the holy day. Yeah. And that's when you cook couscous. And you, um, so the mums across the country will make huge pots of their um, stewed vegetables or meat yeah. with the couscous. The couscous goes in a huge dish. Yeah. Then they'll make a well in the middle, put the kind of um, the protein or the veg from the stew in there and then ladle over the sauce. Oh, wow. And then everyone will just sit around and they'll eat that. Yeah. And they just adore it. They just love it. It's so lovely if you eat my it with a Moroccan family. Rumbling, yeah, listening and it, to it's this. nice. It's, it's quite yeah. a mild. It's quite a mild yeah. dish. No, but it's. I think it's because it's. Just, you know, if you're Moroccan and your mum's been making that for you since you were a little that's, kid every that's Friday. Your, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It's, and it's a really lovely like etiquette when you eat it with mm. the family. It's really sweet. One other thing we were saying that's um, everywhere in Morocco and that they're quite obsessed with is bread. Oh, they love a bread. Yeah, yeah. they love so, it. So. Um, so, I mean, I was, you know, kind of, I, I always think, oh, okay, Moroccan, it's flatbread. People always say flatbreads, but yeah. you were saying it's not, no. it's kind of not flatbread over no, there. No, I think that um, it would look like a round pitta, yeah. but it's sort of it's Puffy, puffier yeah. and it's got like a kind of almost like semolina style coating. And is this the mesmen? No, so mesmen is like a pancake. Oh, mesmen um, is a pancake. Okay. And it's wonderful. It's like um, a very thin dough. Yeah. I, I just, I find it really hard to work with, but... Um, my recipe is more robust than the okay. original yeah. and you kind of would make it thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and then you wow. start fold it, fold it, oh, fold it, fold okay. it. okay, so you're making layers and stuff. And you stuff. get these lovely like flaky yeah. layers and because of the fat yeah. that's in it, it sort of stays just really crisp Sounds like a kind gorgeous. of paratha, like an Indian paratha. Exactly. Yeah. It's really similar apart from the shape. Yeah. But then they do make round ones actually which are really very similar to paratha yeah. but really nice and then you can have it the um actually a wicked way they do it in the mornings which is with honey so they'll fry it in more butter delicious yeah. and then just give Stop. it to you really good <laughs> runny honey yeah and you just dip it in and it's just heaven wow. and then i've got a a stuffed one which is a savory one which mm. has got meat in which is delicious yeah and then um tell me about bat boot i just love the name bat boot so babut's the bat breakfast boot. bread yeah and um the first time I had it was just so cool. So actually I had it in um, Marrakesh and I went to the Mela, which is the Jewish quarter. Yeah. And um, there was a saying that you can get anything in the Mela because um, <laughs> it's just it's sort of like, it's like this really? sort of sprawling market. Yeah. yeah. And um, I wandered in and it was very lovely. Can but you what? get a live goat? I'm sure you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you can. <laughs> Not that I'd want one. I'm just thinking <laughs> of the most random, the most, <laughs> you the most random thing you, you could take home with you, you know? <laughs> I think I'd be a bit of a bitch on British yeah. Airways. <laughs> <laughs> You'd weigh it over your back. <laughs> and um, so when I was there, the one thing that I thought was just brilliant was this lady mm. was cooking these breads. Mm. And they're sort of like round, I guess like side plate style uh, size br- breads. Mm. And they just flip them on hot plates over, 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 over until they're cooked. Yeah. And they're really soft 
and puffy and gorgeous. I love white bread. I love it yeah, so much. Me too. And um, to have that in the morning with a cup of tea is delicious. And what, what they'll do is they'll give it to you and then they'll pour over really, really good olive oil. Mm. And so you either have it like that or butter, butter and honey. Oh, nice. Or they do, which is so <laughs> yummy. They stuff it with cream cheese and egg. Oh, so you, that, you get this good. really good egg sandwich and it's just, if, oh. if you know that fluffy bread. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's got the crisp outside yeah. and then just, oh, it's really yummy. It's wow. a really good thing. And when you, talking about the markets, because one of the, I mean, one of the classic like images of the markets is those amazing um, piles of spices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you talk a lot in the book about the different spice blends. Yeah. Um, so like, I think the one that a lot of people would have heard of is Ra's El Hanu. Yeah, yeah. It? Yeah. What, what is that? What does that consist of? Because it's like, it's it's quite a lot of different spices, oh, isn't it? So many. So I th if you read up on it and you talk to people about it, it's meant it's meant to mean top of the shop. Okay. So I, if you were like super wealthy and you went to a really good spice merchant, yeah. they would cream off all the best bits oh, okay. and mix it for you. And I think that that's where it originated right. from. But essentially it's the sort of a mad blend that I guess the um, imperial kitchens would have used to like show off basically. Yeah. And it's full of all the fanciest things. So like everything from like cinnamon and cloves and to like rose, rose petals. petals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's very floral. Yeah. And um, the scent is wonderful. And is there a classic blend or is it just literally every chef's got their own little blend of how they put it together? Do you so, think? I mean, most chefs, I suspect, are probably buying it mm. from somewhere. I mean, it's like 30, 40, 50 spices. Wow. But if you know, like where, so to get if, you know, stuff. if you know where to go to get the good stuff, that's where yeah, you go. They'll mix it for you exactly. <clears throat> and then we've also got chamula, which I think is used quite a yeah. lot. So chamula is like a really lovely sort of spicy sauce that's made from mm. herbs and chilies, and it's just a sort of like adds just a wicked kick to everything. Yeah. It's lovely. And then um, I know it's not a, a spice blend, but you've got um, one of the recipes we, we've we've got is lobster with green harissa. Yeah, because I think people are you know harissa is quite um, yeah. it's kind of everywhere it's now. Gorgeous. Yeah, I've never come across green harissa. Yeah, before. so just flip it. So instead of the the uh, harissa's tradition is like the obviously red chilies and and you rush yeah. them off. Quite fiery. It's just, it's just made with green chilies and herbs. So it's yeah. sort of a fresher taste yeah. because you're not using the dried stuff. Yeah, and. I didn't see it massively over Morocco, only in like a couple of places, mm. but it has a really nice, I think it's really good with seafood. Yeah. And in your recipe, um, I think you, you have whole lobsters and grill them. It's, oh, pre it's pretty fancy. So fancy. <laughs> but it's so good. A bit of butter but you did so you could do it with big prawns. You could do it with well. prawns. And also, you know, things like lobsters are a real treat. And yeah. I think, um, if you're going to have it and you're by the sea and you can get really You just really want good something ones. quite simple, don't you? With yeah. it, you just want to kind of dress it up a little bit and then yeah. let the lobster... And it has like so. a, just a lovely little zingy salad and that's yeah. actually such a gorgeous lunch. It's yeah. nice. Slight technical problem there. Um, our, our whizzy, expensive dictaphone just died. So we're now recording on my iPhone. Oh, you um, can't beat an iPhone recording. Yeah. Come on. Sorry for being so unprofessional. <laughs> and thank you for letting me stay in your flat. Oh, I'm using my slow dial-up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were right in the middle of talking about uh, Metchery Lamb, which um, which we didn't get to start to talk about. So tell us about it because it's it's a it's a very traditional dish that doesn't right. get made that often. Right. But it's um, so it's it, Metchery is a bar barbecue and um what the guys do is they kind of will it's more like a, they'll make like an oven because obviously no one's yeah. got oven so um i read about this and was like oh my god i've got to try it so i um was 
in London and bought through a sort of third party, a lamb, <laughs> in this very niche little village called Tashadet, <laughs> and it's in the High Atlas. Yeah. Really small, maybe like 20 families there. No uh, road. Right. So the road stops and you walk down, the like literally the mountain. I had a really inappropriate wheelie suitcase as well, which was very awkward. <laughs> you had and, a wheelie suitcase? Yeah, yeah. Because like, I didn't know. And I was like, thought we'd just drive there. Nice. And then got there and they were all laughing at me. They were massive. just like, they oh, were like here's, how here's the Westerners. Like like, how you gonna, so we had to get a donkey to take it for me and um, oh, got into this village and it was on the side mm. of the mountain yeah. completely the most beautiful scenery go- like gorgeous yeah. and then the imam turned up with my lamb Mm-hmm. And he blessed it, and we we killed it. Oh God! It turned up with a live lamb. Yeah, yeah, of okay. course. Um, and then we p- prepared the lamb, and mm. whilst the lamb was sort of uh, hanging, hanging not like that, hanging like for flavour. Yeah. For like a couple of hours yeah, to yeah, dry yeah, out, yeah, really. Yeah. So we built the um, the meshwi pit, and um, what you do is you you get mud and you build like a kind of conical shaped cone from the from the earth. Right. So it looks like. Um, like an ice cream cone upside down right right and then at the bottom um you'd make a little archway so that you can stoke a fire in the bottom so you actually build a with the mud you're building yeah 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 yeah. and then they use olive wood because it's got a really high um really low really high sorry smoking point i.e it can get really really hot without too much smoke which is which is great for cooking um so you make you make your fire and you basically get it till it's white hot yeah and then the lamb was put on like a sort of uh, cross <coughs> of yes. uh, metal. Um, the point being that you can hang that into the cone. Into the cone. And the, the sort of cross bit will catch on the sides and suspend the lamb above the fire. Okay. And then you cover the top with more mud. Mm. And then you cover the bottom where the, you, you were stoking the fire. So you made so you this, made your oven this little oven. Yeah. So the lamb literally cooked in like mm. two hours. It was mental. And it was really fun because the whole village kind of came out to yeah. enjoy it and see what was going on. Because you were saying it's quite specialist, isn't it? They don't, it's not like they do it every weekend. No. It's something that you do on very yeah. special occasions. And it was the, the guys so meat's expensive anyway so you're not going to kind of slaughter a lamb very often and also the the that style of cooking it is they even the village they they were like this is really old school because yeah. they actually had a proper barbecue oh, yeah. and they were like we we <laughs> just cook it on the barbecue and i was like no i want to do it the old way <laughs> so it meant everyone came out because they were like this is really weird like one this like small western man's yeah. here too. with his suitcase yeah on with wheels. his wheelie suitcase <laughs> and then we built this like barbecue that they probably hadn't done for like 10 years but yeah. it was really cool and then we served the meat with just on a big plate with wild oregano mm. and then they give you um, paprika, cumin and salt so you, you sort of rip a piece of meat off mm. dip it in the spices it and the eat spice. it and have it with tea oh, and it was just it was so wonderful they mm. were such lovely guys and we were eating um, on this terrace yeah. sort of overlooking this valley in right to sort of like, we were very high up in the mountains so it was sort of going down into a riverbed across this valley and then there was another mountain there so you're yeah. just like this is just heaven wow. it was so cool obviously uh, I like to write recipes that people can yeah. make so I'm not going to advocate <laughs> building like mud fire pits um, so I just did it in the oven yeah. and it you know it loses some of the um, the spark but it's a really lovely way to sort of slow cook your yeah. meat and it's got some great like spicing and yeah, stuff on there gorgeous it? and it's just... a real big sharing platter so you yeah. sort of like shred it up bang it on that plate and it's just gorgeous and we are lucky enough to have that recipe in the November issue of Olive yes as well. looking beautiful um, so tell us what's coming up because I think obviously the, the book's out publication date is out next um, Thursday the 28th of September ooh, scream <laughs> and then um, our November issue is out the day after yes so it's 
perfect timing. Oh, really, like, perfect, perfect timing. And then have you got anything planned to go with the book? So I've got... um, a launch party next week and then when it's actually out uh, I've got a few um, cookery demonstrations and I'm doing some classes uh, which will be really fun one at uh, one in Birmingham yeah. um, so I, I can't actually remember it's mm. all on my website and then hopefully uh, a pop-up that will be revealed any minute now oh, for nice. a couple of weeks in uh, Borough so what's your uh, website if people want to so find it's johngregorysmith.com yeah. or Instagram's at johngs great so people can, might be able to get to eat your food yes um, come and eat time. my food come and try it I, my <laughs> events are always really fun great food quite boozy and yeah people <laughs> have a good it. time <laughs> I have to say I'm absolutely starving now um, thank you so much for talking to us oh, today oh thank you for coming sorry about all the technical issues oh no we had a good Thai <laughs> chat we had Been a good intermittent Thai chat <laughs> um, and good luck with the book thank you I'm very fine. much and thank you to all the guys at Olive for putting it in the magazine it looks gorge thanks John pleasure thank you to Janine and John here's Alex and Amanda talking tarts Hi, it's Alex and Amanda here. Um, so on Bake Off this week, the contestants were making Portuguese custard tarts or pastéis de nata. <laughs> yes, they um, were. And Amanda and I have both recently been to Lisbon, so we thought we'd share our thoughts on pastéis de nata and some of our favourite places to get them in Lisbon and London yes, and beyond. Exactly. Um, so back to Bake Off yeah. and the perfect pastéis de nata recipe. <laughs> so Paul, AKA the custard tart. <laughs> yeah. So Paul's looking for rough puff pastry with a swirl yeah. underneath on the base to show that the puff pastry was made correctly yeah. with a proper wobble in the custard and the brown caramelised speckles on top. Yeah. So we have a custard tart recipe on olivemagazine.com and that often causes quite hot debate, doesn't it, amongst our readers because yeah. we've created our own twist on the custard tart. Um, we, Amanda, do you want to tell yeah. people a little bit about it? We, we, we have, we've got on our recipe, we have the traditional recipe that it is, but we actually cut corn a little bit and use uh, shop-bought puff pastry, which there's nothing wrong with because no. even on Bake Off, you, they get extremely stressed making yes. pastry, having to make sure when you're making puff pastry, all your butter is le- um, level and all you've got rid of all the excess flour. So we've made it a little bit easier and done shop-bought pastry. Um, and the key thing with this is to making sure that when you roll out the pastry into your um, kind of cup holders or whatever you're using, um, is to making sure they're really thin to make it extra flaky, which are, we go and talk about in our recipe. And also um, with the traditional one, you often use caster sugar. Um, uh, sorry, granulated sugar, but we use caster sugar for the extra kind is of... Is that in the in the custard filling? Yes, when okay. you're making the custard filling. So we concentrate more on the custard filling on, mm-hmm. our, um, on our recipe as opposed to the pastry because um, it's such a time-consuming thing yeah. and it's quite hard to master the best puff pastry. Yeah. But um, it is a step-by-step guide, isn't it, the um, custard tart? Yes. So um, you really, you know, it, you're, we're, we're with you. The whole way. Um, yeah, <laughs> so um, our cookery team have created the, the yeah, perfect recipe exactly. there. And it makes it easy as well if you want, if you really like um, custard tarts, in, and you can then makes it easier to make at home, not having to fiddle around with the pastry. Mm. And with our filling too, we um, use like a little zing, um, lemon in there just for an extra Ooh. kind of citrusy zing, yeah. which is quite nice. Um, a little add to it and also um we use corn flour instead of flour they're not masses of differences to the usual but it's just little extra kind of easy cut corner things like corn flour really does um help when you're making 
anything it thickens it quite a lot quicker rather than standard flour so right, okay that's like a, um, a really easy thing to use when make cooking baking whatever um so they're not like massive difference but i think the main thing is the pastry so yeah shop bought but yeah you know but they're very easy so we're, we're making your life easier yes, and they're very popular yeah so delicious. even though it is easy to follow so do um do have a look at that um Definitely. if you don't have time to make them at home there are plenty of places to get them in london aren't there yeah it is um yes. we actually have one up the road don't we we do cafe uh, cafe donata is um my actual favorite thankfully it's right on our doorstep yeah. in hammersmith um so right by the tube too so yeah, pick it up as you go home <laughs> yeah. um but yeah it's a really nice little place by the tube that do really lovely like crunchy from obviously the puff pastry flaky and really really deep gooey custard mm. filling yeah very naughty yeah but yeah but very good <laughs> i think they also do classes there too ah which is quite helpful to make your own yes yeah, so if you ever wanted to learn i'm pretty sure they do yeah oh, look into that yeah um team bonding trip maybe yeah and um we also um, have had them all across the capital um, to Bernardo Mercado, Nuno yeah, Mendes' yeah. place. Um, it's a restaurant that's great. And um, it's Spike and Earl in Peckham, that's a new uh, oh. coffee roastery and cafe, and they have really good ones. Uh, mm-hmm. But my favourite place is Lisbeth Patisserie, which yes. is in Notting Hill. Hill. They claim on to be Road. one of the first ones here in London. Don't yeah, they? and it's so traditional. Like yeah. you go in, and like there's all the. Um, sounds very cliche, but like old Portuguese men like having their coffee stood at the bar, like quite like in a Spanish yeah, tapas which is, bar. Actually, adds to it, doesn't it? Yeah, really the real no, I love those. And yeah, you know, you're getting the real deal. Yeah, there. exactly. Um, nice. And speaking of the real deal, so yes. as we said before, Amanda and I have both visited Lisbon recently, and they are fair share of custom tarts. <laughs> I think we can say definitely put on <laughs> yeah a few pounds from that. So my favourite were um, I went to. A place called Fabrica Coffee Roasters. Yes. Um, that's on Rua das Portas de Santo and Tayo. Yes. Um, and that, <laughs> that's actually a coffee roaster and they have um, a lot of single origin blends. They do, um, yeah. And you went there as well, I didn't did, you? did, yeah. And they were really great. It was actually our first stop for our first um, tart and it was... Yeah. Hard to beat, really, because it yeah. was really good. And they did amazing coffee, too. Like they and they're really warm, the tarts, so aren't they? So warm and crispy and extra flaky. And, yeah, those ones specifically. They weren't massively deep from other ones I've had. No. They were a little... They con- they felt like they concentrated more on the pastry on that yes. one, which is, for me, great. Yeah, Love pastry. Yeah, I'm <laughs> um, more a pastry girl than a custard yeah. girl. So. so it had, like, a really good uh, amount of custard to pastry. Yeah. So they were amazing. Where else did you go? Um... When I was in Lisbon, I also went to a place called just Delhi, it was called, and it was part of this, like, a his a neighbourhood in, oh, Alex, how do you say it? Principe? I think it's Principe, Principe. Real. <laughs> Delhi, <laughs> anyway. And it's this really cool little cafe. It's, like, minimalistic, metallic, kind of clean-cut design, and it's actually a cafe by local architects. Um, oh, cool. And, yeah, so it looks really cool, but it's also got really, really lovely um, custard tarts in there, and they're only a euro, too. Oh, fab. Yeah, amazing. Get so ten. <laughs> literally a bag full. <laughs> and they, um, yeah, they, these ones were very, like... Again, gooey, crispy, um, like they're meant to be flaky. Um, so that was really great. That was one of another stop in Lisbon. But probably, I have to say, one of my favourite, favourite ones that I had was a place called Pastilleria Santo Antonio, mm-hmm. which is very near the castle. Okay. In Lisbon. In Lisbon, yeah. sorry, yeah. And um, it's like an artisan ice cream crap waffle place. Um, but they also have their own little 
custard and I had to like section for custard tots. Oh, fab. And what was really great about these was I was actually watching the guy um, make them and then he would sugar spray them there and then in front of everyone just to give that like extra crisp. So what's the sugar spray then? Is that... it, It's just like water and sugar. When he was explaining it to me, he said when as soon as they come out, they spray it with it, um, which I guess is to make it like when it's hot to them. Yeah. The sugar spray going on it adds that extra crispiness. And that's how you get those little caramelised um, freckles on yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah. I think as well as the oven being extremely hot, that mm. obviously adds to, again, the crispiness of it. But um, yeah, these were really, um, although I, again, I really love pastry, these were deep. Mm-hmm. Like they had were literally, the custard was falling out of it. So, <laughs> although you meant to have a really nice wobble, these were a little bit probably runnier than an average wobble and but they I were think just, I like that yeah I do if it, it felt like a bit puddingy no <laughs> and yeah and the pastry again was so flaky and just yeah oh. it was so good Great. so so good so yeah a lot of um people who go to Lisbon say and when I was going everyone was like well you obviously have to go to Pasta de Belém yeah um so just a bit of context about that um tourists like make pilgrimage like every like all the time to um, Belém. in the centre. No, it's or, a little... Yeah. It's, it used to be a separate town, but now it's more like a suburb of yeah. Lisbon, isn't it? And it actually means Bethlehem in Portuguese. I so um, So they are very holy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the custard tarts are really famous there. They've been making them since 1837. Yes, first and it's one. actually a... Um, it's a secret recipe that they've never revealed no. and it's actually from a monastery. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so now, and then they built this new, this um, complex to make them like a little mini factory, but they're all handmade. Like traditional um, recipe. Yeah, Amazing. really, really traditional recipe and they still make them by hand. So yeah, that is the place to make the pilgrimage yeah, to if yeah. you're a real pastista de nata fan. Yeah. But um, yeah, I didn't manage to make it there. But it's, it's funny because we were talking about custard tarts before in the um in the office and I was saying where's everybody's favorite place they've had them mm. and um Hannah um our sub-editor said she well she used to live in Nanjing in China yeah that's right yeah and she said that every bakery there had custard tarts yeah. and she was like why did this everyone and she asked somebody and it's because the Portuguese missionaries brought them over uh, yeah um but she said apparently they're a lot they're a lot smaller than the ones oh, that we have here yeah, in yeah, Portugal yeah. Um, so it just shows like the variation yeah. in, um, in them. Well, I had one of my first actually custard tarts in Macau, which is obviously, everyone knows, an island off of Hong Kong. But that's because obviously it had its Portuguese heritage there, the colony. But whenever I, my first one I ever had was actually there, like long, wow. a few years ago. Cool. And I have to say, I didn't love it at the time. I was no. a bit like, oh. What's this? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I remember them being really small, actually. Yeah. Um, whereas here, they're so deep, gooey and just like, and also, yeah. can you um, like tell people a little bit about the difference between English custard tarts? Oh, yes. Because that's a bit of a yeah. hot topic as well. It is, yeah. Well, Marcus Waring's got a um, recipe, actually, that's like a... He, I think, I don't know if he did it specifically, but like, this is what makes the best kind of custard tart, like, mm. aside from the Portuguese one. And it uses a lot of eggs, but also it uses short crust pastry, not... right. Puff okay. pastry, whereas puffs obviously like puffs up and it's flaky and everything with short crust isn't. And it has also uses um, nutmeg on top, not cinnamon, because obviously Portuguese okay. custard tarts yeah. uh, come with 
serve cinnamon, cinnamon yeah. so which makes it so there's not tons of difference, but no. um, but some people are very very specific. Yes. We always get comments on our um, the Facebook page about people saying these aren't custard tarts. And these, it's like, yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> and they're just a different one. Yeah, exactly. Aren't they? So yeah, they're really quite diverse little things. Yeah. So we really encourage you to experiment with our recipe, and also please do share your results on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. We've got a hashtag Olive Mag Recipes, and we'll definitely repost yes. best. So yeah, have make a sure bit you of get out and start eating them. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. You know the drill by now. If you like what you've been listening to, and we really hope you do, please go review and rate us on iTunes. It takes a couple of seconds and does us a massive favour. It means we can ramble on for another week. If you want to learn more about any of what you've heard today, remember you can buy Olive Magazine in all good supermarkets and news agents or download the digital version via our snazzy app. Plus, you can click on the brilliant olivemagazine.com. Until next time.